Obama hates inversion deals, Janet Yellen hates all of biotech, and earnings season is here because this is where the money is. Hi everyone, welcome to the healthcare edition of Where the Money Is. I am David Williamson and I'm joined by my fellow healthcare analyst in arms, Michael Douglas. Michael, how are you doing today? It's been a great week so far. It has been a great week. A lot of news. Yep. A lot of news out there. The the government's uh, firing really <laughs> against uh, against a lot of the, the big trends we've seen in healthcare. Uh, let's just start, I guess, with the big story from, from just the other day. Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen. Um, was in front of Congress giving mm-hmm. a report, and uh, in this written report, mm-hmm. now, now, now she she had mentioned some sort of uh, you know frothy areas in the market. It, it was it was a little akin to the Alan Greenspan irrational exuberance right. speech from, from from so long ago. But in this in the written report, it actually called out biotech and social media as being. Uh, what having stretched valuations is that how they put it? Uh, that was the phrase. Yeah. So. Um, Certainly, my biotech, the biotech parts of my portfolio suffered almost immediately, and I'm sure a lot of other people's did. Yeah, it was a pretty bad sell-off yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> not, not much fun there. But so, of course, the big question then is, well, what do we think? You know, is Janet Yellen right? And the answer, of course, is yes and no. Right? Yep. There are, of course, stocks in biotech. I mean, this is a frothy area. There are stocks where the valuations have gotten a little stretched, and there are those that, you know, maybe deserve the valuations they've got. Mm-hmm. What, what, what's one you think uh, maybe a little bit stretched? You know, I, I have to look at mankind. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a company with a three. Which we've never talked about. Never before. talked <laughs> about, but it's it's the inhaled insulin company, mm-hmm. and everyone's excited about it. It's a new way, essentially, of delivering insulin. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an inhaled insulin before; people didn't like it, but it was a much clunkier delivery system. Right. Uh, valuation three point six billion. That's that's really high when I actually think what the, you know, you take a look at the di- diabetic market for mm-hmm. type one and type two diabetes, huge. So it, it's easy to get really excited about this drug. I just have concerns about what uptake is going to be uh, in terms of sales. They don't have a marketing partner, and, and I do think this is a stock that has had some irrational exuberance to it. No, I think that's a fair call. And when you look at peak sales potential, I mean, if everything goes well, it looks cheap. You know. Yeah. But over the long term. But frankly, you know, that assumes everything going well long term, looking many years down the road. Um, and so I, so I think for right now, yeah, it does look pretty It's priced pretty a little expensive. bit for perfection, yeah. Oh, very much so. And, and not just for this year's perfection, but maybe a few years down the road's perfection. Absolutely. Is there one that you think uh, Janet Yellen is, is wrong on? And I think there are, there are a number. But of course, it depends on how you define biotechs, right? I mean, yep. if, we, if we get into healthcare, um, you know, you've got some of your dividend stalwarts that are actually, I think, uh, pretty well-valued. You, know, you look at Amgen, for example. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's an excellent biotech. Um, you know, we, we've talked about big biotechs before. I tend to really like big biotech. So do um, I. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Um, you know, when you look at the PCSK9 drug that they've got, um, a lot of the opportunities that they have moving forward, I think it's a, dr- uh, it's a stock with a lot of opportunity. And, um, you know, it, also the, the Papocyclib, um piece with Pfizer. Um, because they get a they get a portion of publicyclib mm-hmm. uh, revenues um, opportunities with the Capralis and and elsewhere I think that it's uh, it's a stock that's got some good opportunity and hopefully um, oh, I think at least may have a, a justified valuation I guess we'll see yeah I think when you take a look at it, it I brought up irrational exuberance at the beginning the the, the famed Greenspan quote yeah you know, when you think about biotech irrational exuberance is really what biotech investors do best it's kind of the name it's, of the game it's, it's the trademark of the of the sector and I think what you have to do is d- differentiate hype versus pipeline which yeah. is uh, what what you're looking at in any investment you know what what are you actually paying for mm-hmm. down the road. 
you know, does everything have to work out just right mm-hmm. for this to make sense at this price? You know, not even talking about further upside from where you're getting it right. now. So I think that's important. You do, if you do take a look at the biotech index, so it's up 250 percent over the last five years, 90 percent over the last two, 30 percent over you know the last year. So right. there there has been a run, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't think the Fed is necessarily right in calling out the entire sector, but but certainly there has been a lot of enthusiasm. We are seeing a bit of a change. I don't want to say this time it's different because inevitably something bad happens immediately <laughs> after saying those words, but we have seen a lot of technologies that were hyped in the 2000s during the real biotech bubble yeah. uh, that have actually born fruit now and, and the companies that survived during the interim and, and developed the science that some of those drugs are coming to market. And we are seeing some real paradigm shifts in how we treat several diseases. So mm-hmm. I think you know, it's like any sort of stock picking environment. You just have to do your research and, and pick the right ones. Yeah, definitely fair. Well, let's move on to our second headline, courtesy of the New York Times. And the headline is Novartis joins with Google to develop a contact lens that monitors blood sugar. This is for Novartis's Alcon unit. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it's, it's a fascinating uh, basic opportunity with technology. You, so this contact lens basically uses miniature sensors and this radio antenna that's apparently thinner than a human hair. I mean, we're talking really small. To I would hope so because it hurts when a human hair is in my eye. Uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely true. Uh, apparently it's pretty comfortable um, to track glucose levels. And, and think about the opportunity here, right? Now, you know, we and the Motley Fool, a lot of folks have talked about wearables mm-hmm. a lot. You know, how you have the opportunity to, to track your heart rate and to track what you're eating and, uh, you know, all these different apps that sort of give you these opportunities. But when you get to something like tracking blood glucose levels through a contact lens, yep. I mean, you're taking it to the next level. Um, and when you think about the opportunities in healthcare, one of the big things we talk about a lot in healthcare is uh, ambulatory care sensitive conditions, which are these conditions where if you're getting better primary care, um, hopefully, not too often those ACSEs, as they're called, actually happen. You don't actually have to go into a hospital emergency room with these. Uncontrolled diabetes is one of them. And mm-hmm. so this could help with that opportunity that hospitals really have to try and bring care closer to home and get you help before you have to go to that emergency room and that really expensive visit. Well, when you think about it, too, right? I mean, think about it, the amount of people who have contact lenses. Now, all of them might not need to be monitored in this way, but you're almost turning the contact lens into a more advanced medical device. I mean, Absolutely. it is essentially a medical device mm-hmm. as, as it is, but you think of the amount of users, and if you can track your health data regardless of, of what it is, you know, if you have different chronic conditions. Um, this is something Novartis has actually been trying to work on in-house for years, but they couldn't get the uh, engineering couldn't to work, happen, and then yeah. they saw that Google had and immediately rushed out to, to partner with them. I thought it was interesting, too. There was a second one they were talking about mm-hmm. that it sort of works like a camera with auto-focuses on different things near and far um, to provide essentially better vision, yeah. which, is, which is pretty crazy to, to see. I, I think there's a lot of excitement with this. This is, and I want to stress the same thing Novartis' CEO said, this is years away. Totally. So, you know, it, it would be a lot to invest in this right now uh, before there's any sort of marketable plan. Uh, but it could really be an exciting future where people's contacts do more than just correct their vision. Well, exactly. And, 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 I, I'll say, I think to some extent, that's the idea of sort of rule-breaking investing, right? When you're mm-hmm. thinking about um, what could really transform things five and 10 and 15 years down the road. Because, 
you know, when you think about like the Affordable Care Act, for example, people have already kind of priced that in. People generally know which stocks are benefiting and which ones aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're thinking about five and ten and fifteen years down the road, where wearables could be, you know, what are are the opportunities? What companies are really being smart about it, and who sort of the hidden beneficiaries could be? You know, uh, Google is always mentioned in that. Novartis could be a surprising beneficiary, and there could be others as well. Well, when you think about it, too. You know, Google's been the first to do this. Mm-hmm. It's not to say others can't, but Google probably likely has patents on it. I haven't, you know, dove into the technology too far. So this is a market Novartis could fairly lock up or at least be a, a strong first mover on yeah. and get a lot of early adoption. And that's huge. It's, it's definitely huge. All right, well, let's move to our, our third headline, courtesy of Bloomberg. And we're going to stay international. Yep. England asks Illumina to map 100,000 genomes over there. Michael, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I mean, excellent that Illumina got this got this deal. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's really fascinating how uh, much we've been able to reduce the cost of, of genomes, right? I mean, Illumina pioneered this sort of $1,000 genome. Um, actually, the, the price that they're being given for this is a little bit higher than 1000 per. It's uh, $160 million. Um, I think it's really, it's, it's cool, it's interesting. Um, in terms of an investment thesis on Illumina, I don't think it makes that much difference really long term. You know, you consider, again, $160 million by 2017, sort of paid out yep. in, in that time. Total revenue last quarter was $421 million. Yep. So when you annualize that out, look at it, we're talking a couple percentage points bump over that period. It's not really that fundamental. It's cool, it's interesting, the optics are great, because it's fantastic that they're partnering with England for this, but... Ultimately, not that fundamental, really, to an Illumina uh, investment thesis either way. What, what, what do you think? Well, when I look at Illumina, it's yeah. not as compelling a stock as it is cool science to It's me. fascinating. And, and, and I think what you have is, is two divergent things. Mm-hmm. I think you have a gene sequencing industry that, as you mentioned, it's a race to the bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, who can get it priced the cheapest? Because you drive the price down, the more it's going to be adopted. And we've seen prices just plummet. And they're going to continue to spiral down, which is really great for customers and drug developers who can take the technology or take the knowledge gained from sequencing the human genome and provide better drugs, tailor make drugs. Uh, so we're going to see, I think, a lot better outcomes for patients mm-hmm. and uh, probably a lot better R&D return from the healthcare industry. Right. I don't know how much of that is going to flow to these gene sequencers in terms of profits. And, and that's my real concern because, you know, the... They're not necessarily necessarily selling a commoditized product, but they kind of are. Yeah. And it, it's really tough to differentiate yourself as long as your product is right and you're, you're producing the right you know, knowledge of, of the, the human genome, then it really doesn't matter whose machine you get it from. So mm-hmm. that, that's sort of my concern with Illumina as an investment, but I think it's great that um, the government's funding this. It, over in the UK, I think a lot of knowledge will be gained and, and hopefully better outcomes for everyone involved. Absolutely. All right, well, let's move to our game segment. We're going to uh, switch off Rank It. We've done Rank It for the last three weeks, trying to, <laughs> I guess, get a little sense of you know, who the big healthcare players are. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to go m- more to fool in the blank because it's, it's earnings season. It's here, and we, we've had some, uh, some exciting developments already. So our first fool in the blank is hospital earnings are going to be blank, Michael. What are they going to be? I think impressive uh, is the is the word I'm going to go with. I went uh, I went with bananas. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, no, I mean when when you and actually you look at the market uh, today, which is uh, Wednesday. Um, 
the entire hospital sector is up big because HCA, the largest for-profit publicly traded hospital chain, uh, pre-announced their earnings. And I would say pre-crushed their earnings. Yeah, I, and it, it, yeah, you're right. I was, I was too weak there. I mean, revenue of $9.23 billion, up 9% year-over-year. Income before taxes of $904 million, up 12% year-over-year. Net income per diluted share of a buck seven, up 18% year-over-year. You don't see that kind of growth yep. in hospitals. Analyst right? estimates were uh, for $0.92 cents versus that buck seven. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, that's how bad a beat it was. It was a huge beat. And then, and then guidance mm-hmm. was... was uh, maybe even more impressive. It went from three dollars and forty-five cents to three seventy-five cents, yep. up to four dollars to four dollars and twenty-five cents per share for the year. We see utilization trending up as well. What, what do you think this means for the hospital industry overall? Well, it's good news, of course, obviously. And are right? we seeing Obamacare finally show up for hospital stocks, which I think these CEOs have been, you know, down on their knees praying for? Yeah. Well, we okay. So they they indicated um, one of the things they highlighted. They actually said. Um, previously, they had said that Obamacare would be a 1% to 2% benefit to earnings before interest, uh, taxes, depreciation, amortization, EBITDA. Um, now they're saying it's 2 to 3%. Okay, so that's a pretty big bump. It still doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a pretty big bump. And when you look at where, um, where we suspect a lot of this Obamacare uh, bump could be coming, it could be coming uh, from Medicaid expansion, uh, which a lot of these for-profits have a lot of actually uh, southern um, exposure and not as much in the north where... Medicaid expansion was more common, so they only have a few states where they're getting that benefit. But a lot of these folks who are newly insured, uh, we suspect, could end up utilizing emergency rooms. Mm -hmm. Um, And those outpatient procedures um, are higher margin for hospitals. So it's a lot of benefit there. Um, And you look at uh, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Yep. recently released a study indicating that doctor's offices aren't really seeing more patients. And they hypothesize that that's because these patients are using acute care providers like hospitals. Uh, they're going to the emergency room, things like that. So... Um, it's, it's an opportunity. It has been shown that people with health insurance use, use it. it. Yeah. And these are also probably people, especially you talk about Medicaid expansion, who may not have had primary care physicians, and they just know about going to the hospital. That's, that's the pattern they've had, and that's the pattern they're keeping, but now they're insured. Exactly. And, and, and so, I mean, when I think about hospitals as investments, um, I'm not as excited about them. I mean, I think this is a great opportunity for hospitals, you know, yay for anyone who's who's invested in them. But, you know, it's a highly regulated area. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of lawsuits over time. You don't see a ton of growth. These aren't dividend payers. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's a low-margin business. Um, and HCA particularly hasn't really been that uh, innovative, to my mind at least, when thinking about accountable care organizations, you know, moving away from fee-for-service, mm-hmm. with this transformative opportunity in healthcare. Um, and so... Um, I'm interested. I'm excited for them. Um, it's it's an industry that I prefer to watch on the sidelines. I think so. I, I think there's a rising tide. Yeah. So we'll lift inv- all boats. Yes, and I think they probably will. So mm-hmm. I, I think investors will probably do just fine mm-hmm. in in hospital stocks. Obviously, some operators are going to be better than others. Uh, But I think you raise a good point about the future of healthcare being in these accountable care organizations and hospitals that are starting to sort of vertically integrate Mm -hmm. uh, are a little more compelling to me than than more traditional operators. Exactly. All right. Well, let's go to our next fool in the blank, which is also earnings related. And it says the reaction to Johnson & Johnson's second quarter was what, Michael? Was blank. Puzzling. Puzzling. <laughs> was that two weeks again? Yes, it was, because I'm going to say made by people on crazy pills. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Give, give, your, give your 30 second pitch on that. I mean, J&J absolutely crushed it. I don't know what people want. wanted. Yeah. You know, they, uh, they, they beat 
soundly uh, uh, in terms of earnings. $1.66 a share. Uh, estimates were for $1.55. So an 11 cent beat is huge for a company like J&J. Yeah. Uh, revenue. The bluest of blue chips. Yeah, exactly. Uh, dividend aristocrat. Uh, they upped their earnings guidance for the year. Five cents in the low end, two cents in the high end. Pharma, just a, a total monster. 21% uh, growth. Yeah, and 37% in the United States. It is absolutely incredible. Now, a lot of that is, of course, because Elysio, um, their hepatitis C drug, uh, just crushed estimates. I mean, first quarter uh, of 2014, about $350 million. This past quarter, $831 million in sales. Just absolutely incredible. People hadn't modeled for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a big part, I think, of why J&J beat. And it's not necessarily something that's going to stay in the long term. No, no. That's going to, I mean, as soon as there's a competitor. So it's being used off-label with, with Gilead Savaldi to treat genotype 1 without interferon. As soon as uh, there's a combo pill and there are some other competitors, yeah. it's probably, those revenues will decline. Yeah, and J&J was very clear about that. So yep. maybe sandbagging on that was why the, why the market reacted negatively. But that said, I mean, you saw a business that was really firing on all growth drivers that said that they were ready to uh, potentially do some more M&A. Yeah, uh, I mean, very exciting. So, you, you know, know and they, they sold off the diagnostics business for uh-huh. $4 billion, which which I love because it was a low-margin business. We saw a consumer reignite. Yeah, uh, six per, uh, up 6% in constant currency when you take out net divestitures. I mean, that's really an impressive growth from effectively a retail business. Mm-hmm. Um, just all in all, a really good quarter. Um, I think the market reacted completely incorrectly to it, but, you know, that's just our two cents. And the nice thing about foolish investing, we don't have to worry about next quarter or the quarter after. No. We're making long-term, and long-term, J&J looks pretty good. Oh, long-term, it's a, it's a titan. Yeah. J&J <laughs> can't be denied. All right, well, let's move on to our final fool in the blank, which is, and we, we've seen a bunch of these, mm-hmm. studies linking, uh, I just have drugs up here, but this is essentially uh, drugs that are generic drugs, uh, diabetes drugs, depression drugs, mm-hmm. to Alzheimer's prevention are blank, Michael? Uh, early stage and speculative. Yeah, I, 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 I'm going to say, I mean, it's, it's obviously a touchy subject, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to come with a, a, a joke fill in the blank here. I'm going to say inconclusive. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. but inconclusive. A, and I think uh, a lot more research needs to be done in terms of this. I mean, you see these headlines and, and you, you take a look at the problem of Alzheimer's, right? I mean, we're spending, what was it, uh, over $600 million treating it now. Uh, or a billion, billion, billion yeah. sorry, billion, and it's whole got, order of magnitude, and, and it's expected to jump up to 1.2 trillion mm-hmm. by 2030, and so anything that can help prevent that is great. Uh, so I think more research needs to be done. You know, I think at-risk people need to be identified. Mm-hmm. But some of these drugs, you know, Actos has certainly had that was the diabetes drug has had some issues in terms of side effects. Uh, some of the depression drugs do as well. I believe it was uh, one by Forest Labs. That, yeah that was linked to it. Uh, I still think when you're talking about Alzheimer's, you know, you have to look towards the big pharmas that are really trying to develop treatments. Um, obviously, it's important to catch it early. I think mm-hmm. studies are sort of leaning that way, but develop treatments um, not only to help ward it off, but to uh, treat it once it's already there. Yeah, well, and, and unfortunately, it's really been... Uh it's been a bit of a graveyard there. It's just been it's been rough. I mean, just uh, just today, uh, Roche uh, released data on crinizumab. I think I'm saying that correctly. Um, it was an Alzheimer's drug. Basically, indicated the the drug didn't slow progression of the disease, but at the higher dose in a small group of people who were sort of the most mildly impaired participants it may have indicated some delay in mental decline. Uh, uh, they were saying about six to nine months 
the yeah. life on average. I mean, we're, you know, I, I'm putting in as many caveats as I can here because that's really how the data, um, when they released it, that was sort of the indication was that it just caveat, caveat, caveat. You know, they don't even know if they're going to continue pursuing the drug. They're going to look at the data, but it's just been there've been a bunch of phase three failures here. I mean, basically, from from what I hear from that, it reminds me of Eli Lilly's solanezumab yeah. phase two or two phase three trial failures, where in the mild group it may have had an effect. Lilly was willing to run another phase three trial uh, from from Roche's data. I I just don't think it's necessarily even justified. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are a lot of different drugs in development. I mean, they're attacking it through different pathways. We see these base inhibitors that are mm-hmm. that are starting to come through development. Um, Biogen has a drug that's uh, similar to solanezumab, but uh, a lot more potent. And I think screening is going to be important too, because I think uh, it's tough for these trial groups to necessarily get people with just Alzheimer's versus dementia. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know. It's, it's sort of hard to tell sometimes, I, th- I think, exactly what you're dealing with. But um, certainly it's an area that needs drugs, but you know, the drug development here has been a graveyard. You can't model for success, and it's really pretty risky investing on the basis of an Alzheimer drug working. Yeah, but you know, speaking, speaking not as an investor but as a, as a person, you know, I mean, just um, it's, it's been just such a such a terrible uh, disease that it would be it would be great to see something work and and I think I speak for everyone on that absolutely you certainly speak for me yeah so let's move to the mailbag and our question comes from Jim M and Jim asks President Obama is making noise over companies leaving the U S for lower taxes will the feds put a stop to it will they Michael <laughs> put me on the spot there yes uh, try to predict Congress um, I. <laughs> Well, predicting Congress is pretty easy. You well, just predict that nothing will happen, the right? No. Um, I mean, I will say, I, I think from a public policy standpoint, it makes perfect yep. sense, right? You you want to keep taxes here. You want to keep companies headquartered in the United States. Um, that said, I think just due to the polarization, everything, it could be very difficult to get something through. Yep. Um, and, and, and you see, I mean, this is you know, Treasury Secretary Jack Lew was speaking about this on behalf of the Obama administration. Right. You know, President Obama wasn't wasn't out there thumping his chest on this, but it it is a huge problem mm-hmm. uh, for the U.S. I mean, we've seen a number of inversion deals. It seems to be the theme of 2014, certainly in healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had Pfizer trying to go after AstraZeneca for this reason. We have uh, AbbVie. Now, probably it looks yes, like probably uh, getting leaving. getting Shire finally in Ireland. Yep. Um, you got Medtronic, Medtronic going yep. after Covidian, um, and there was one other. Well, what's sort of interesting to me is though they want to try to make this retroactive mm-hmm. back to May. back to May, which. Uh, I, I just don't even think if they can make something happen, that will happen. So I don't think investors in these companies, that would be a concern mm-hmm. if I were an investor because these deals are very shareholder friendly. Yes. And, and that's why they're doing it. I mean, they have cash that's trapped overseas. Uh, they're trying to lower their tax rates. It makes sense. I mean, dollars and cents, if you're looking at it, and especially if you're an executive whose uh, compensation is tied to return on invested capital, Absolutely. you are, are staring at the UK thinking, how do I get over there? Right. How could I possibly get over there? And so it makes a lot of sense. I don't think anything's going to happen. I think this will probably be used for a broader discussion on reforming the U.S. tax mm-hmm. code, which which needs reforms clearly Absolutely. Uh, when, when you're seeing companies uh, – go at this this rate and, and sizable companies too um so i i think reforms have to happen but this doesn't seem to be a, a washington dc that gets a lot of reforms done yeah so i i think investors in these companies probably are going to hear a lot of saber rattling and not a lot of action out of congress yeah it looks like things will probably be safe all right well, let's move on to 
tweet it, which is always my favorite segment of the show. It's, it's fun. I like going on the Twitters. Yeah. Um, the Twitters. Nice. The Twitters. Our first tweet comes from Kate Kelland, who writes, Global AIDS epidemic can be controlled by 2030, the UN says. And this was via Reuters. And it's, it's pretty exciting to, to think that this could happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have seen a real shift in preventing it. Uh, obviously, treatments have gotten better for, for HIV infections. But the FDA approved Gilead's Truvada for prophylactic use. We mm-hmm. saw the CDC get on board and recommend that at-risk people take Provada for prophylactic use. And now the WHO also came out and, uh, and said essentially echoed the CDC's comments. Right, exactly. So basically, uh, the pre-exposure prophylaxis or PrEP program, basically you take Truvada as a preventative measure to mm-hmm. help prevent you from getting uh, HIV. And uh, when you look at the numbers, um, uh, we're talking 90% plus prevention rate, which is just enormous. Yep. Um, you know, I, I will say it would be, from an investment standpoint, this is obviously a huge opportunity for Gilead. It's one that they haven't uh, pushed too hard. They've kind of let the CDC and the WHO and the state of New York yep. um, basically kind of do the marketing for them and say, hey, you know, really, uh, people who are at risk should be getting on Truvada. Um, and I think that makes sense uh, because uh, it could come off poorly. It's a, it's a little bit of a touchy subject, but this is really Gilead's hidden opportunity. Yes. I mean, Savaldi's grabbing all the headlines, but Truvada could be much bigger. Well, and, and, and as it is, Truvada's already pretty big. I mean, it's, turn, I mean, it's no Savaldi, right? It's not doing yeah. $2.3 billion in its first quarter on the market, but it's doing $750 million last quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is still an enormous opportunity for Gilead. This is a, a, longer, a longer-term opportunity because it's basically just a, a preventative measure that you will keep t- taking um, over the long term. And... Uh, both from a public health standpoint and from an investing standpoint, this is really kind of a cool nexus. And that's one of the nice things about Gilead is they really operate at that nexus yep. in a few areas. Hepatitis C, I mean, basically, we could long-term eradicate this disease and we can help prevent HIV and perhaps reduce HIV uh, incidence, at yep. least. Um, to the point where it's it's sort of a an afterthought, not on the forefront of everyone's, you know, as a global health concern. New York's New York's goal is to reduce new HIV incidence to the level of um, I think it's whooping cough. So <laughs> so really yeah. really a good opportunity there. Long it's a nice old timey disease they just pulled out. Yeah, exactly. Whooping cough. So so that's that's the hope. That's the goal. And, and it's going to be exciting to follow. It's going to be exciting to watch. And that's it's sort of the exciting part about. You know, being in the healthcare space and being yeah. healthcare analysts and, and following companies like Gilead. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our second tweet, which comes courtesy of the New York Times. And they write, living with uncertainty, expected health spending declines again. Mm-hmm. Michael, what are your thoughts on, on health spending declining again? Is the cost curve officially bending at this point? Well, so the, the commentary from, from The Economist and the talking heads on this was, and the CBO on mm-hmm. this was, we really don't know what's going on right now. Yes. Uh, we're not sure why this is happening, so don't draw any conclusions yet. <laughs> don't model for this. Don't, yep. um, but basically, Medicare is expected to make up 4.6% of GDP in 25 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and previously, it was supposed to make up about 4.9%, uh, according to the CBO. And, and the Kaiser Founda- Family Foundation actually noted that Medicare is currently spending $1,000 less per person this year than in 2000. Uh, sorry, 2010. Uh, right at the, you know, when, when the economy was really bad. And you would kind of expect people to maybe be using less healthcare services because they're trying what, to save money. Exactly. Um, so really interesting. Um, in terms of conclusions, I'm going to side with the CBO on this one. We can't draw any. It's, it's way too early, but it's something to watch because they're, I mean, the whole industry will be affected, and you don't know exactly where the extra costs mm-hmm. and the spending is being drained out of. Yeah. 
And, and so it, it's, it's just sort of interesting to look at. It's definitely a story that needs to be followed. You know, is this an affordable care thing? Is this re- recession-related? Mm-hmm. But, but why don't you talk about you know, three things, I guess, that, that could be uh, responsible or could make this more of a, uh, a permanent shift? Yeah, so, so not, uh, again, not, not taking today's numbers, not at all trying to relate to today's numbers, but three things that I, I think could really long-term be beneficial to that Medicare cost curve. Um, the first one is accountable care organizations. And you'll hear me pounding the drum for accountable care organizations just about every chance I get. Um, They're I, your favorite thing in the world. They are just, aside from, aside from my wife, my lovely spouse. <laughs> um, but accountable care organizations, basically this idea that instead of paying for every test and every service, we're going to pay, ba- uh, you know, insurers are going to pay hospitals or Medicare is going to pay hospitals based on uh, whether people get better, whether people come back, uh, whether you know, this set of treatment works. And basically shifting some of that risk onto the hospitals so that they're incented to make sure that really good outcomes are happening. Um, you think about Aetna, they're being very active in this space. Um, by, I think, 2017, they want to have almost half of their costs flowing through some sort of value-based or risk-based contract. It's sort of the, the term they use for something like an ACO. <clears throat> um, the second, I think, for Medicare, is going to be negotiating drug prices. Um, That's going to be really controversial. Yes. It's what they do overseas, yes. and it's why Savaldi costs $57,000 in Europe. And eighty-four thousand dollars here, right? And and you know, Medicare is not allowed to consider whether um, a, a drug is cheaper when it's including in the formulary, but just kind of what's the best drug. Um, so if Medicare could start negotiating um, based on based on ability to prevent one thing from a formulary from getting in, you know, from getting in or not, mm-hmm. um, that could make a huge difference. And we have seen some of the PBMs, the pharmacy benefit managers, move this direction too. You know, Express Scripts mm-hmm. is is really. Uh, Kicking up some sand. Well, they didn't include Advair um, mm-hmm. from uh, GlaxoSmithKline in their uh, formulary. Uh, I think two years ago and last year. Yeah, the one with Simbacort. Yeah, from, exactly. Uh, AstraZeneca. Yep. So, so you are you are seeing this change begin to happen. Um, whether it's going to end up getting all the way to Medicare, I don't know. But this would be a really big opportunity to bend that cost curve, especially in Medicare Part D, which is the the the, the drug portion of mm-hmm. Medicare. Um, the third uh, is. Reducing Medicare Advantage outlays, um, which, you know, according to MedPAC's report in March 2014, on average, Medicare is paying Medicare Advantage programs. This is that private um, managed Medicare, uh, uh, 6% over the cost of traditional fee-for-service Medicare. Um, long-term, we know there's going to be payment pressure on Medicare Advantage. Uh, we've been hearing about it for a while from the insurers. If, they, if Medicare reduces its Medicare Advantage payments, uh, whoever's operating those Medicare Advantage plans stands to lose. Yep. United Health Group is the biggest player here. They've got 3 million members in Medicare Advantage. They have the biggest market share. So definitely a company we're going to want to watch long term in that space. And there has been pressure on that and that's that's an area where where cuts could happen. So Absolutely. Uh, definitely something United Health investors need to be watching. Yeah. But the whole thing is is really just how healthcare is changing in this country and mm-hmm. it's a story we're going to keep following and, and every investor in healthcare needs to be following it closely too. Yeah. All right, our final tweet which is which is our fun tweet comes from actually a favorite favorite Twitter of mine which is GS Elevator Gossip and the tweet says anti-gambling ad in Singapore for a World Cup totally backfires and for those of you <laughs> listening to us and not and can't see it uh, there's a sign it's two two young boys sitting on soccer balls and one of them says to the other I hope Germany wins my dad bet all my savings on them so <laughs> what do you uh, what do you think this kid's going to do now is he is uh, he going to have an awesome birthday party is he pretty excited about uh, about being able to go to a more expensive college 
Yeah, not not is, a. Is his dad just a classic biotech investor? I, this is kind of the way I wanted to turn it, which is you probably shouldn't go all in on a biotech. Yeah, uh, the way unless it's the right one. The, I guess. I guess. <laughs> you know, um, no, I, I I I personally do not believe in in picking an individual stock. You know, I have a, a pretty broad portfolio. So does David. Check him out on fool.com under both of our profiles. Um, but yeah. <laughs> this, this one really backfired. It, it definitely backfired, ex- except for for that kid. So yeah. good for him. Yep. <laughs> His imaginary dad uh, won big. I should I should see who's who's going to win the uh, Super Bowl this year from, yeah. from them <laughs> as Singapore. All right. Well, thanks for watching. Stay tuned for another Where the Money Is tomorrow. For Michael Douglas, I'm David Williamson, and Fulan. <laughs>